Check, check, working. There we go. All set. Um, we've been walking through the book of Matthew. So we have, we've, we've been, been uh, having this wonderful journey of seeing all about God's kingdom. We've learned a ton about Jesus, and we continue to learn a ton about Jesus. There's been a bit of a turning point, though. Chapter 20, 21, Jesus has now entered into this uh, very public, visible ministry. He's no longer doing things uh, out of public view. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he is in the spotlight. And so all of these Pharisees and Sadducees, all these leaders in the Jewish church at the time have now kind of congregated to him and are challenging him. They're like, okay, if you're going to start making these claims, if you're coming into Jerusalem with this triumphal entry, uh, we've got some questions for you, Jesus. And so that's what, that's what we've seen in chapter 22. There's all, the, all this questioning of Jesus. Jesus, what do you say about this? Jesus, what do you say about that? And this morning, we're going to dive into another one of those confrontations of the religious leaders of the day with Jesus. So let's read it, starting with verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, that is, the other arguments that Jesus had been having. And this man, seeing that he answered them, that is, Jesus, he answered them well, he asked him, okay, I got one for you. Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, oh gosh, I'm in Mark, sorry y'all. I totally confused you. I, I apologize. There's a whole other version of this passage in Mark. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I guess if you weren't looking it up, you're fine. You had no idea, right? <laughs> okay, we are going to get to that Mark one in just a minute. But first, there's a much shorter version of, of it in Matthew chapter 22. Sorry. And we're in verse 34. My bad, my bad, my bad. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang or depend all the law And the prophets. A very familiar passage to many of you. Some of you maybe not, and that'll be fun. But I imagine for many of you, you've heard, even in our culture at large, you've probably heard this phrase, this saying of Jesus, this retort, this answer. Is anybody watching the Olympics? Oh, come on, y'all. No one's watching the Olympics. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, my personal favorite is skiing. You guys, is anybody here like skiing? You like to watch skiing? Yeah. I love, it's so incredible. Just the amount, the level of skill of so many of these athletes is truly, it just blows my mind. And does anybody here like to ski themselves? Anybody been skiing, like to ski? Wow, not many. Okay. Well, that ties in well with what I'm about to say. I... I used to work with teenagers, and we did these uh, yearly, these annual ski trips to this place called Winter Place. It's in West Virginia, and I absolutely hated these trips. I hated them. Um, It was just a logistical nightmare, 
And there's always such things going wrong. And so I remember this one year in particular, uh, things going wrong. The first was, I'm coming down this huge slope, and there's beginner skiers behind me. And they're sort of following my lead. I'm kind of carving a path for them down the mountain. And everything's going swimmingly well. But we get to this one section where it, everything speeds up a little bit. And then there's this big turn kind of as the mountain curves us away from this large cliff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I come around the corner. And the students who are following me come around the corner with me except for one. He hadn't quite figured out how to turn yet. And so he goes... And I just see, I just, he just drops. And I, I, remember, I remember vividly stopping the rest of the group I was with and being like, Lord, um, I don't know what I'm going to do after I get fired because he's dead. That was my only thought. I was like, do you, you show me what job you want me to have because this one's done. Uh, I mean, he's dead. He's dead. I was convinced of it. I mean, this was like a sh- pretty sheer drop into like wood woods. So I like, you know, peel off all my gear. I'm running as fast as I can. I dive off after him and, you know, kind of roll down to where he's and find him. The Lord had literally, there was a little thicket and he had, he had like placed him in this little thicket and he's like, hey, Nathan. I was like, are you broken? And he's like, I think I'm fine. And he was literally fine. I mean, he had dropped probably 30 feet I mean, it was, un, it was, anyway, I hated these trips. Things like that happened all the time. But my rescue of him was, my rescue of him made sense. You know, it was the loving thing to do, right? That, I mean, that's so obvious to all of us, right? Sacrificing ourselves for someone else, going out of our way for someone else. Duh, that's love. It was easy for me. That, that one was easy for me. Well, well, there was another incident on that same trip that was much more difficult for me to define as love, because we're going to talk about love today. But we're coming back home. We're in these vans. We, we took these big white 15-passenger vans when you go to these ski trip things that we went on. And I had uh, one of my sort of youth leaders driving the van in front, in the very front of this caravan. And we're getting close to back home, back to the church that, that I was working at. And they decide they're going to start racing. And Yeah, exactly, right? You don't want... You. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. Thank you for that mom face right there. You know, I was like, what mom wouldn't be so upset? There's a bunch of teenagers in the back of this van, and they're racing. And then they decide they're going to start pulling out across the double yellow lines and, and starting to weave around one another. I am, I'm like, my collar's going, there's actual steam coming out of mine. So we pull back in. We finally make it back to the, uh, to the church where we were at. And I jump out of the driver's seat and I run over and I, I like literally open the door of the other the van, lead van and I grab the guy who's driving it and I pull him out and I literally have him by the collar and I'm shaking him and yelling at him like you never do that again you know and I the hard part was it, it took me weeks to recover from that anger blow up on him but it was one of those conundrums for me that was really difficult to figure out and here's what I mean I was loving on those students Right? That's good mom love right there, isn't it? At the same time, though, I like crushed that driver of that van. I, I, I crushed him through my words, through my anger. It, it, and so it, it left me just, what is love? Was that the loving thing to do? 
Was the loving thing to do to grab him out of the car and yell him and teach him a lesson right there on the spot? Or was it to go to him the next day, let things cool off a little bit, let my temper die down? I don't know. I didn't know the answer then. And, and it's sometimes hard for us to figure out what is the loving thing to do? There's a lot of confusion about love. Especially in our culture, even today, where different than many cultures around the world and throughout time, there, there's, we have less of a sort of standard everyone sort of agrees to on what is the most loving thing to do. So we're left in a little bit of a, a, little bit of a soup. What, and, and for instance, uh, after this summer, the incident this past summer in August, uh, where you know, there's, there's all these terms about hate and about love and this clash, and then afterwards there's these little heart symbols that have Charlottesville in the middle of them. There's heart symbols with the name of Heather in the middle of them. There's a whole huge statue thing on the downtown mall that literally is the word love. Have you guys walked past this one yet? There's now the word is massive. It's like 10 feet tall, the word love. But the thing that still confuses many is what is love? What's the loving, thing? What's the loving response, even out of that incident? What is the loving thing for us to do? What's the loving response for us? Well, I think this morning we're going to see here in this passage, Jesus clears things up for us. Jesus really does clear things. He, he parts the waters for us when it comes to morality and love. Because that's what he's talking about. This is all about ethics, morality, and love, and how they're connected and how they're different. But I want to give us an outline that will help us sort of chew through this, walk through this. And I want to use the word heart, because we're going to talk a lot about the heart today. Well, one of the definitions of heart is the central or innermost part, the essential or most vital part of something. That's one of the definitions of heart. Okay, so here's our outline as we walk through how Jesus clears the fog about morality and ethics. We're going to look first at the heart of the Pharisee. Next, we're going to look at the heart of the law. And then we're going to end with the heart of the heart. <laughs> that one's a little harder to figure out. But we're going to end, we're going to, we're going to conclude with the heart of the heart. So let's start first by looking at this Pharisee that comes up to Jesus and asks him this question, what is the greatest law? If you know anything about these guys, these Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day at Jesus' time when he was on the earth teaching, and they cared a lot about the law. They cared a lot about following the law. They cared a lot about knowing the law. That is, the law of God is contained in the Bible, is contained in the Pentateuch, is contained in the Old Testament. They spent the majority of the first part of their lives digging into the different laws, the meanings of each law, how to follow each law properly. It was extensive. So they had documented 613 commands at the time of Jesus, as he was teaching them. They had 248 positive. They had 365 negative. Um, and there's pretty much no way anyone could fulfill them all. I mean, this was, this was a known fact. And so they actually, at the time, had divided them into what they called heavy laws and light laws. And you wanted, as a, as a person who was following the law, you wanted to major on the heavies. The heavy law, you know, and then, the, and then the, the lighter ones you could fudge a little bit with. And when you did fudge on the, on the lighter laws, they had a sacrificial system that could kind of take care of the scraps, right? Of the things that you weren't, that you forgot about or you weren't able to do or, you know, you didn't tithe your mint or whatever. So they had this whole system set up and it was an exhausting system, both for them and the people who followed them. Jesus even said that. He said, 
to the Pharisees, Jesus said, you lay incredibly heavy burdens on people. Burdens that they can't even carry. This is an oppressive system of rules, rules, and more rules. So that's what this Pharisee is coming. That's, that's his heart as he comes to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, I am burdened, and I promise you anybody who has listened to me and followed me is also burdened. We are burdened. The law, the rules are weighing us down. Help us out. Can, can you just boil it down? Can you just, can you just give us... Just give us the one or two that we actually have to follow, and then the rest we can just fudge on. Right? He's exhausted. But here's what's interesting. As you think about the Pharisee, as you think about the heart of the Pharisee, it's easy to go, oh, that's terrible. Oh, wouldn't it have been horrible to be a part of that kind of oppressive system where they had all these rules and regulations and things like that? You know, it's all about freedom, really. It's all about freedom now. Or, you know, we, all we care about is freedom. Well, here's what's interesting. Y'all, you, don't, you can't escape rules. <laughs> if you think you're escaping rules, you're just getting into a different set of rules. Okay, that's the conundrum the Pharisees were facing. The Pharisees were facing, you've got rules, and then you've got no rules. There's no such thing as no rules. Well, let me explain. Let's, let's think of it this way. Um, a place without a police force. Think of inner city Chicago. Would you want to go to inner city Chicago? Probably not. I'm guessing. You wouldn't want to go to inner city Chicago. Now, here's what's interesting. It's lawless in the sense that there's no active uh, police force, and there's shootings down in the inner city of Chicago all the time. But there is laws at work, right? The laws of who is the most powerful with the biggest gun. It's called the law of the jungle. You ever heard that term? Right? There's still laws at work. You still can't just... It's not just a bunch of people waving flowers around down there like, oh, it's the summer of love. That's not what's happening in inner city Chicago. It's laws that are dictated just simply by power. The laws don't go, rules don't go away. It's just they've got a different set of rules operative down there. Let me give another example. Um, open relationships. You've heard of open relationships? You ever met someone who's in an open relationship? Basically like, you know, just kind of wife swapping, things of that nature. You know, I've talked to folks that have done those kind of things, and they'll, they'll tell you, most of them I think, will tell you it's, it's, it can be oppressive in and of itself. That because of the way the human heart is wired, there are, there are things in us, there are rules that God has planted, laws, even in our own heart, that when we break them, you feel it. You know it. And it's, it's not this freedom of escape. It's not this all of a sudden everything is better because I'm free from the rules. There is another law at work. That's what Paul says when he's talking about this tug and pull between following the law and not following the law. He's like, even when I don't follow the laws of God, there's another law at work in my heart. You can't escape this. And this is the conundrum the Pharisee is bringing to Jesus. This sense of, do follow the rules, don't follow the rules. We're stuck. Either way, there's always a law at work. Even when I think I'm going out and just, you know, I'm... I'm going to go break all the chains of, you know, my setup, my responsibilities. I'm going to go live a crazy life, crazy and wild life. You, there's still rules at work. <laughs> there's still rules at work. And you will find that the laws will still come crushing down on you. So he's stuck. And that's what he's bringing to Jesus. He says, we can't live with the oppression of the law and we can't live without the law. What do we do? <laughs> what do we do, Jesus? Help us out. Give us the big two, the big three laws that will kind of clear everything up. And Jesus does that. But what's interesting is he doesn't give him, he doesn't pick and choose a couple of laws 
for them. He doesn't say, okay, how about honor your father and mother and, uh, you know, do not steal. Yeah, if you just do those, you're going to be good. That's not what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to open it up wide and I'm going to, I am going, he stuns everyone, including the Pharisee. Jesus stuns them. And then that, that Mark passage I messed up and I read first. At the end of the Mark passage, it says, no one who heard this interaction dared ask Jesus another question. They were afraid to even ask him a question because this answer he gives is so phenomenal, is so amazing, is so earth-shattering. Let's dive into it. Let's dive into it. And we can understand it if you think about it in this way. The heart of the law. The heart of what is the heart of the law? Well, Jesus is going to go there. He says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, strength, uh, and love and so- mind, soul, strength, heart. Sorry. <laughs> kind of important. Um, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, okay, this is, this is what all of the other laws hang on. This is the hanger you put every single one of those 613 laws. This is it. This is the summary for you. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's saying... The heart of the law is love. That's what he's saying. Have you ever thought of it that way? He's saying all these laws, all these rules, all these things that, you're, that you find oppressive, the heart of them is love. Think, for instance, about the Ten Commandments. You may have heard of the Ten Commandments before, or the Ten Words, as they called them back then. You know, Jesus is saying, when, it, when the Ten Commandments say, do not steal, for instance, it's not just... Okay, you're good if you can just somehow figure out a way to finagle your life where you're not actively stealing from stores or from people. Then you're good. You're good. Jesus, that, he's saying, no, that's not the heart of the law. The heart of the law is love. That, that particular law, that, that Ten Commandment, do not steal, what it's saying is be a generous person. That's, what it's, that's the heart of it. Be a generous person. Be a generous person. For another one. Do not commit adultery. So if I, so you know, if you're looking at the law and, and, and you're divorcing it from this idea of love, you're going to look at do not commit adultery of like, okay, if I specifically don't have an official affair, I'm good. I can kind of go all the way up to the line. I can do all kinds of, I can do all kinds of sketchy things. I can be unfaithful in my heart. No, of course not. Jesus is like, no, that's not the intent. The intent is love. What, it, what, he, what that law is saying, do not commit adultery, is be faithful. Be a faithful person in every way. Be totally faithful to your spouse. And we could, you, you could go on and on with the different laws. He's saying the heart, the heart of the law is love. Love for God and love for other people. But the reverse is also true. And this is probably one of the most important parts, y'all. Um, the heart of love is law. That was a little tougher to grasp as Jesus dives into this. But as he gives these commandments, it's also what he's saying. He's saying the heart of love is the law. What do I mean by that? Think about this phrase. I'm not going to be burdened by the law of some overbearing God. I'm just going to live love. Have you ever heard that? You heard things like that before? I'm just going to live love. I mean, come on. Why do you get in all these? Why do you get in all this Bible stuff? This heavy-handed rules and all this jazz. Well, here's the point. How in the world 
Are you going to determine ever what is the most loving thing to do if you don't have the law? How in the world do you determine what is actually loving? You could say, for instance, let me give some examples of this. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a life of love. And so what if, you know, um, you want to be nice to people, right? That's, that's kind of common sense way to love. I'm going to be nice. Okay, great. You know what? I'm going to be so nice to people. I'm going to invite a, one of those f- sign flyers that, you know, hangs out at the end of one of the intersections here in Charlottesville. I'm going to invite them into my home. And I'm going to be nice to them. And I'm going to give them a warm place to sleep. Well, then they come into your house and all of a sudden... Your kids come to you and they say, hey, that, that person that you just brought in off the street, they're making me really uncomfortable and they've touched me in weird ways and this is really bad. And you say, okay, you come up to the, to the homeless person you brought in and you say, you're out of here. I'm kicking you out. And they're like, Where, what happened to love? What happened to love? Right? Again, there's conundrums here. There's all these ethical conundrums. Let's take another one. Um, how about you meet a man or a woman at work who's lonely? Who's lonely? And they find your companionship to be absolutely what they want and what they need. Okay. So you're loving on them. You guys get into long conversations. Next thing you know, you're talking on the phone, loving on each other. And you say, you know what? Your wife starts to find or your husband starts to find some of these phone calls, these texts, and you're like, hey, you know what? I'm doing this. I deserve this. I've worked hard. I deserve this. And so you decide, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm going to go with this person I met at work, this this man or this woman, you know what? I love them. They love me. I love myself. I'm going to walk away from you, spouse. Again, who's to say that's not loving, right? They're lo- you're loving yourself, right? You're loving this other person, this new person you met. Think about it for a minute, right? Who's to say it's not loving? Who's to say? Who's to say? If you're making it up, that could very well be loving. Or let's get some, a couple more extreme examples. What about the polygamist? I don't know if you've ever seen this show called Sister Wives. It it takes place out in Utah. Um, But y'all, if you watch the show, each of the women will say things that there's like, this guy has like 15, no, he doesn't have 15 wives. He had like seven wives or whatever. And, And each of the women were like, you know what? I feel loved. This man loves me. Who's to say? That's not loving. They chose that. They want to be in that kind of relationship. Who's to say? Um, What about, let's take... One that kind of hits more home here for us in Charlottesville. Let's take a racist who says, I love my family and my country. And I want all those other criminal races to be removed from my country because I love my country. Right? I want, because those other races are you know, just inherently more evil and more criminal than the one I have. And all I'm doing is I'm loving my family and I'm loving my country. Who's to say? Who's to say? He isn't doing the right thing. Right? Again, the heart of love is the law. You cannot have love without law. You can't have it. Even when people say they want it. I don't want these oppressive rules. I don't want these oppressive, oh, I just want to live love. That means nothing. It means nothing without the law. God is the one who created us. He's the one who knows how we work. And when he gives us laws... He's helping us to understand what is love. What is love? We know because of what Jesus teaches us, because of what the Bible teaches us about love. Okay, so let's move on to our last point. So, oh wait, no, no, never mind. There's a couple little things I want to mention on this. Do you see the conundrum 
I hope from the, a couple of these examples, do you see the conundrum that, that Jesus is creating here? You can't even begin to define love without law. You must have the law. Love is at the heart of the law, and the law is at the heart of love. And so what Jesus has done is he's raised the bar on this Pharisee. That's what's crazy. That's what's crazy. Jesus is not giving this Pharisee an escape from his conundrum. He actually has raised the bar. The Pharisee was like, just give us a couple that we can actually follow so that we can get the love of God. That's what we're after. That's what the Pharisee is saying to Jesus. What we're after is, I want God to love me. I want God to accept me. I want other people to accept me. Just give me a couple that I can actually do to achieve that. And Jesus raises the bar on him. He raises it higher and says, "Mm -mm, I'm not giving you that. I want to show you that you can't do it. I'm going to show you that you can't do it. Because the Pharisees at this point, he's destroyed. If you read the Mark version of the same passage, he says, wait a minute. He's like standing there. You know, he's about to vomit. And he's like, wait a minute. He's like, what you're saying is, what you just told me exceeds our entire sacrificial system. That's what he says in the, other, the Mark version. He's like, that exceeds our sacrifice. We, we don't, if I sacrificed an animal or whatever to the God that you're talking about, all day, every day, I would never be able to cover over the sins. Jesus, I don't love like this and I don't follow the law like this. I, no one could get close. And Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom. You're not far from the kingdom. What's left? I'll tell you what's left. To despair of your own righteousness. That's what's left for the Pharisee. It's called repentance. That's the word the Bible uses for that. Despairing of our own righteousness. Our own effort at righteousness. Jesus, the point Jesus is making is, look, you, if you are using the law, he's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to us, if you're using the law to get the love of God or the love of other people or the love of yourself, you will become a religious monster. That's what he's saying. You'll become a religious monster because you're going to use the law to manipulate. You're going to use the law to get your way. You're going to use the law to get people to try to like you. You're go- it is going to crush you. It's going to crush you with fear and pride. Your life will be full of fear and pride. That's what he's trying to tell the Pharisees. That's not how the law works. And so we conclude, how does the law work? It, this is what we're concluding with. It's called the heart of the heart. Um, that's, the, that's the way I'm talking about it. The heart of the heart. And we're going to ask this question as we end. How? How? Jesus just told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. How are you doing at that? <laughs> exactly. Right? We even confessed it earlier today. How are you doing at that? Yeah? So let's end with a little let's end with just a peek into how that happens. How do we how do we get even close to achieving or not achieving what Jesus just talked talk to this Pharisee about? Because um, I don't want to end in despair, because that's where the Pharisee was. He was despairing at this moment. He's like, ah, I can't do it. So there's a two prong the, the Bible gives us a two pronged approach to becoming lovers of God and lovers of people. Because that's what we are at our heart, at our core, the heart of the heart. We're lovers, y'all. That's what we are. We're not brains on a stick. We're not. Descartes was wrong. It's not, I think, therefore I am. That is wrong. We are lovers. We have deep longings, deep desires, and God, that's how God made us. And that's what he's getting at with this love idea. 
this heart idea. He's getting at this, this idea that you are a lover. So the first prong the Bible gives us, and by the way, neither of these are natural, these prongs. Neither of these are natural. The, these are, we're so supremely selfish that any movement in this direction is a work of God in our life. It's a work of God. Prong one, the Bible gives us, in loving God and loving others, is to despair of our own efforts. Just like I talked about with the Pharisees. It's called repentance. Despair of our own efforts at getting God's love and to just go to Jesus Christ. The Bible's constantly talking about that. Jesus took the full brunt of our breaking of the law upon himself on the cross. He is our hope. Let me read very quickly from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Skipping down to the last verse. God made him, that is Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is saying, first prong to loving God is this. You, in Christ, you already have the love of God. You are not on a journey to try to get the love of God. That's not your journey. You already have it in spades. You already have it. The full acceptance, the full love of God comes to us through Christ. If you have believed on Christ for your salvation, you already have the love of God. If you have it, now is the starting point. If you have not committed your life to Christ, if you have not given yourself to Him as your only hope, if you have not despaired of your own efforts at being good, now's the time. It's the start of the journey. The start of the journey is understanding I have God's love. I have God's love. I am super loved. (laughs) I'm super loved. There you go. Now you can begin the journey. I'm super loved. And here's how it goes. Um, I've got to conclude with this. How much time we got? Okay, I've got a couple minutes. The second prong, once we know we're loved by God, is this. Love is deeply connected to the concept of desire. Right? You, you desire things. You woke up this morning and you desired things. The reality is, as modern Americans, we are in a battle. And it's, you're not going to notice it very often. And what I mean by that is, there are a ton of rival lovers that are vying for your heart. Every day. And we have, and I am 100% in this, y'all. We have, we constantly are selling our heart out to rival lovers instead of God. Um, It's not some random coincidence that the rotunda looks like a temple. Okay? It's not. The lower G, lowercase g God of learning resides there. It's not a random coincidence that the mall, and I'm not just talking about the indoor mall, the one that's kind of decaying, but I, mean, it's, uh, but, I mean, it's a fun place to go. It's a fun place to go, you know? Uh, but, you know, like, think, think, think Stonefield or something like that because we don't build them indoors anymore. 
but we build them, you know, we build them so you can drive through them now. But there's, it's not a random coincidence that those things are designed like temples, y'all, with iconography in the windows, with an acolyte who greets you when you come in, who brings you to the altar of transaction where you can finally get the good that your heart truly desires. You give your, you give your part of the transaction. The priest behind the counter uh, does their part of the transaction. And then you have the good that you can bring home. Y'all, it sounds funny, doesn't it? It sounds funny. Y'all, we are trained from birth to be consumers. We love our stuff. We lo- In America, we love our stuff. And it, there's a reason why you often find that your heart is not loving God, but is loving your iPad way more. We're trained to do this. And you have to understand, because we're not brains on a stick, so much of this is ritualistic. We do this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And finally, we find that, yes, I can't be happy without that new dress. (laughs) I can't be happy without the new iPhone. I can't. That is... It is going to complete me. Because again, we've been trained, we've been ritualized to think in these ways. Now, am I saying never go to the mall? Am I saying don't go to the university or something like that? Of course not. But we have to, we have to shake ourselves a little bit out of this idea that the world around us is neutral. Are you ready to shake yourself out of that a little bit, Christ Central? That the world around us is neutral? that there aren't rival lovers vying for your heart. The reason in worship that we do things in a repetitive way, some of you might be like, oh, confession of sin, you know, confession of, you know, affirmation of, you know, apostles creed. Oh, isn't that just rote repetition? Come on, let's move on to like more creative forms of worship. Well, the reality is we need that stuff. We need the repetition. We need to be formed into the kind of people that hear from God the same message over and over again. And the message, of the, the message is this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God came for you. God has grace for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. God, God wants you. God desires you. God delights in you. God, it, God loves you. And we've got, we've got to hear it over and over and over and over and over again. And finally, slowly, over time, it begins to seep down into the actual desire part of our lover being, how we're made by God to desire him. And we find that miraculously we're reformed into loving towards God, into, into caring about the things God loves. Y'all, it's going to take a long time. I'm not going to lie. Worship is not some little thing that we do because we're good Christians, we go to church. Y'all, God is forming us into lovers of Him. And guess what? When you become a lover of Him, you become a lover of the things He loves. That's the second part Jesus was talking about with this commandment. He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the natural conclusion. When I got married to Christy, I started to love the things that she loves. I, didn't, I pretty much hated seafood before we got married. And now I have like an insatiable desire for shellfish. Why? Because as we grow together, as we are ritualized together in this pathway, on the same pathway, we love the things our lover loves. Think about it. The same thing is true. This meal, y'all, we're about to take is an embodied picture 
of the fact that Jesus loves you. That's the message of this table. Jesus loves you. And the reason we take bread and we take wine and we take grape juice is because we need visible, real, physical pictures of this truth. We're people. We're people. We can't, it's, not just idea, it's not just ideas. I need to eat it. I need to drink it. I need to feel it. I'm a whole person. I'm full of desires and longings. That's how God made me. And here's the most important part. Augustine said this, and we're going to conclude with this. He said, God, you made us for yourself, and we will remain restless until our hearts rest in you. We will never find real satisfaction for our hearts unless it is in you. Come. I I invite you, Christ Central. Come to this table and receive. Don't bring. You're not awesome. (laughs) I hate to say it. That's why we confessed our sin. Receive Jesus. Receive his awesomeness and let him make you, through his life, through his love, through his grace, make you awesome. And final application. I know I said I was going to conclude with that, but, you know, preachers keep preaching. <laughs> I think this is, a, this is a, good re, a good reminder for us. What are we doing as a church? What's the point of a church plan? The point of a church plan is this. There are people in the houses right around where we're meeting. There are people across town. There are people that uh, on, on grounds of UVA that are waking up, even right now, in their, in their own vomit. Because they're, y'all, because they're chasing the desires of their heart. And what all we're doing is saying, come come in here. Just just come in here for, just come in here. I promise you, you will find the true desire of your heart right here. It's here. It's God. That's what you're chasing after. That's the, the person who woke up just in the same neighborhood, who woke up and is depressed and is lonely and has no idea why they should go on living, and is contemplating suicide even right now. The desire of their heart is God. Come on in. Come on in. This is an amazing place. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we need you. Lord, This we can't do this on our own. Lord, we are lovers of stuff. Lord, we're even now thinking about lunch. I'm thinking about lunch because I love food. (laughs) And I love drink. And I love your good things. Lord, I pray that you would break me from having them as supreme loves in my heart, Lord. May you be the supreme love of my heart, of our heart, Lord. May this meal fill us like it's never filled us before as we're here in your presence. Thank you for this time to gather and worship and be reformed into people that have a heart for you. Help us to love what you love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here it is. Here it is, y'all. This is the climax of worship. We get it in visible form. We get it in physical form. The love of God for you. We celebrate together because we understand that Christ has drawn us together. So we would ask that as the bread is coming around, you would hold it until we've all taken it, and then we'll eat together to express our unity in Christ. Um, Jesus, oh, there's the bread. It's under there somewhere. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, 
He broke bread just as I am now. He broke bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Remembrance of my sacrifice and love for you.